the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to the human heart and the psyche, Paul is a master as he delves into the truth of it all here in Romans chapter 7. And that's what we will do next on today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Online at reformedheritage.org and from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Welcome to our program. Today we're back in Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Sin and God's righteous law is the title of our message. By the way, if you ever miss a specific message in our series, or maybe you've heard a message that really spoke to you and you'd like to hear it again, we would invite you to visit our website, reformedheritage.org. We have a vast array of past messages there. For now, let's catch up with Pastor Gary Wagner in Romans chapter 7 and a message called Sin and God's Righteous Law. In verses 1 through 6 of Romans 7, which we looked at last Lord's Day, Paul said three things about the law that led him to make the defense of it that we see in verses 7 through 12. He said in verse 4 that we had to be delivered from it if we were going to serve God. He said in verse 5 that the law actually stirs up sin. And he said in verse 6 that it is an old letter. Now, some people have drawn from this. They did in Paul's day, and they do it in our day, let's just be done with God's law altogether. So they encouraged God's people to run away from it as if it were a plague of monumental proportion. But we forget that God's law is holy because God himself is holy. And that is why in verse 7, in response to the question, is the law sin, which may mean Can we blame the law for our sins, or is it the law's fault that we are as sinful as we are? The Holy Spirit gives a resounding word in Greek, meganoito, God forbid. It is a negation of abhorrence and of impossibility. No, no, no. God's law is holy, just, and good. We see in verse 12, and its convicting function is very, very necessary. Now, if we felt as we should our horrible condition because sin has raped and murdered us, we should rejoice that God's law gives us a jolt every now and then because you and I can be quite content to be sleepers and to stay quite dead. And of course, if you are lost and you don't know the Lord Jesus today, that is where you will be until God's law comes to you and wakes you up. And you better pray that he does. 
or you will be fearfully aroused, looking straight at hellfire, praying for the rocks to cover you and hide you from the wrath of the Lamb. So we need to be careful. If we honestly understand our sinful condition, we are not going to set ourselves up as judges over God's law. We are going to recognize its holy author. And we are going to recognize how much we need for the sword to pierce right through us. Because we are sound asleep. And that is made very clear in verse 7. Notice what Paul says there. He says, we are wholly ignorant of our true condition. Wholly ignorant. Paul says, I didn't even know what a lust bucket I was until the law came to me. Now, he doesn't just mean sexual lust, although those would be included. This would be all unlawful desires. This would be the desire for other people to recognize me and pat me on the back. This would be the desire to be self-contented and to have many, many things or possessions This would be all desires, however they come to an expression in our lives. You see, until we see our true self and how damned and judged we are before God's holiness, we're always going to love ourselves. We think we know ourselves so well. And if you go to Santa Clara University or Stanford, you'll have classes on human psychology that say, Let us tell you about man. Blind men teaching blind men. Because until God's law comes to us and shows us our true self, we spend all of our time pretending, wearing masks, thinking that we are better than we actually are. And we forget that we are creatures made in God's image. We do not want to face that we war against God, our maker, and now eternal judgment and misery are looming before us. Sin is a lot like anesthesia. The more we sin, the more our conscience grows dull. Have you ever noticed, perhaps in your own life, that when you started out on the path of sin... Maybe there were some very strong warning bells. Don't go there. But the more you sin, the fainter and fainter the warning bells of your conscience become. Until, as the Holy Spirit describes it, the conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron and it will barely ding at all. So we call good evil and evil good. There is no fear of God before our eyes. And then what happens? Some little snippet of God's law, some little snippet of no, don't warning comes to us. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a preacher. Maybe it's a friend. And what happens? Well, if God intends to break our chains, our conscience will tremble and it will stir And it will be aroused again because we are made aware of our sin. But listen, it's just not that there is such a thing out there as sin somewhere. But that I am a sinner 
me. I have offended the holy God. Forget my parents. Forget the preacher. Forget my friends. Forget the world. None of them are going to stand with me when I stand before God. I am going to stand before him and face the fact that I am the transgressor. That is what an awakened conscience begins to say. I have offended God. I deserve his displeasure. The conscience stirs. And then it screams when God's law comes to it and shows it its true condition. And that is why in verse seven, verses 7 and 8, he uses lust, covetousness, as his particular example. There is a reason, I believe, because covetousness is, of course, a sin, and lust is a sin that is particularly illustrative of how we hide from others and from ourselves. We come in here to worship. You go to work and you're around other believers and you put on your happy face. Of course, you'll meet some very hardened individuals who, have, who make no bones about, hey, come and look at this filth. Or they're spewing curses and such. But most at least want to put on the appearance of goodness. The appearance of, oh, that is really bad. But you see, Paul says, that's the way I used to be before I knew the Lord. I did pretend to be Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Lawkeeper, even though it really wasn't God's law, it was man's law. But I pretended to be good. We like to be looked at it as altruistic, forgetting that in our hearts We really want the praise of men. We want to be thought of as good, caring people. These are just some of the examples that Paul speaks of. Or we could just use the base one, that we are seething and teeming with various sexual lust, and yet we walk in here all clean and washed, as if it looks like everything is okay. I haven't committed physical adultery, at least not in its worst forms. So I'm okay as long as it was just mental adultery or emotional adultery. But see, there comes a moment, an agonizing moment of self-realization. Paul says, when the law comes to you and God says, thou shalt not covet, and you could just as easily translate the 10th commandment, thou shalt not lust. Because it's the same idea. Oh, Paul says, lust. That's not out here. That's not on magazine covers. That's not on pornographic sites. That's not on shiny new car lots. That is not where lust is. Lust is in the heart. So the law is not just as long as the external looks good. As if God is concerned about external order. God is not the author of confusion, beloved, but of peace and order. But this is about an inward purity. That is what his law demands. So Paul says in verse 7, the law came to me. My heart is unclean and some of my actions may be unclean too. But they are simply a fruit of an unclean heart. I don't see God's glory in any of this. I see my glory. 
my satisfaction, to fulfill my desires, my cravings. So God's law, Paul says, this is one of the reasons it is not sinful. In fact, it's very, very needed. God's law shows us that is not only the outward actions, but it is the inward desires and motives and goals that prompt those actions. So before I make a word of application here, let me make more of a personal word of application and try to really boil it down. Let me pick on the men, since we are called to be the leaders. You might say, I love my wife and I am keeping my vows. And that's good. I'm glad you haven't had an affair. I'm glad you haven't run off and divorced your wife. But peel back the layers. Are you satisfied with her alone? Or are you looking for another? Or looking at another? This lady you're looking at may be false. She may not even really exist. She may be an image of pexels. But Paul didn't realize this about himself. He didn't know himself until the law really came to him, as we will see in just a moment. He thought, I'm doing okay. I'm okay on the outside. And then this law comes and exposes the true condition of his heart. There is a very shallow conviction of sin that is present throughout the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today. A very, very shallow conviction conviction of sin in in many places you'll hardly hear sin mentioned at all why is this it is because God's law is not preached and because God's law is not preached in the church today there will be no holiness because what is God's law it is his holiness it's the revelation of God's character So as long as God's is not proclaimed in his holiness and his righteousness and his justice, guess what? Verse 7 teaches that men go merrily on their way, senseless to their true condition. That's why we don't want a big God in the church today. We want big men. We want big feelings. We want big programs, but we don't want a big God because a big God would necessarily expose me for who I truly am, a sinner justly deserving God's displeasure. And I am without hope except for his sovereign mercy. So if you want to see men running to the cross of Jesus Christ, If we want to see within the church professing Christians more consistently repenting, hating sin. If you want to be like this, fleeing your sin, running to Jesus Christ for cleansing and righteousness. We first have to see the truth about ourselves. And there is only one way to see the truth about ourselves. And that is for God's majesty to shine forth in his law and to reveal his glory. Because we never know ourselves until we look at his majesty in his word and all around us. We never 
No one, no major universities in California, no Christian schools in Santa Clara County, government schools, your own home, television, novels. No one knows his true self or our filth, our corruption, and the precariousness of our position until we have gazed upon the majesty of God as revealed in his will in Holy Scripture. So if that is not being proclaimed, do not expect revival because revival is not more people liking more performances revival is when men are struck and humbled by their filth and they run to jesus christ for cleansing and then draw from him life and strength and joy and peace and righteousness so paul has hit one of our proverbial nails right on the head in verse 7 We do not know ourselves until God reveals who we truly are in his word. Verse 8, though, sin does not take this sitting down. Paul is describing the ungenerate heart, his own heart, before he came to know Christ. And when the law comes to a sinful man, it's like when you are asleep and, you know, one of your boys or all of them, thought it would be a fun idea well let's see what dad does if we go into his dark room and we shine a flashlight right into his eyes what would you do well you'd probably thrash around to get that light out of your eyes right that is what sin does when the light of god's majesty comes and is revealed to us in the law it takes or As the word in verse 7 could be translated, it finds an occasion to reassert itself. Hearing, thou shalt not covet, verse 7, it breaks forth into great concupiscence. Verse 8, concupiscence, sorry, concupiscence means lust, desires, cravings after things that are unlawful. The truth of this needs no long proof or dissertation. We see it in everything from the child who's told no, pouting and screaming even more until it gets its way, to the morally depraved who become more morally depraved the more they are warned against the evil and the danger of their way. Why do women who escape abusive relationships run toward worse relationships? Why do men whose consciences are slightly convicted when they are looking at a little filth over time convince themselves, oh, it's not really so bad, and descend into even worse filth? You see, until God mercifully delivers us from depravity, and brings the gospel to bear upon us, sin responds to the warnings of the law by saying, I am going to maintain my dominance at all costs. I'm going to sin more. I'm going to find new ways to sin and to revolt against God. As Paul says here in verse 8, for without the law, sin is dead. Now, this is kind of an old language. But what he means very clearly in the context here is, hey, until God's law came, sin was just sleeping peacefully within me. It was contented in its tyranny and its dominance of me. 
There was no other competitor. And then suddenly this light shines. Thou shalt not covet or thou shalt not kill or love your neighbor as yourself or or lay down your life for your wife or obey your husband, whatever it may be. And sin is like, what? Here is an intruder. I will not give up my dominance. I will fight back. We need to feel from this how dreadful our condition is until the Lord Jesus comes and rescues us. Because as bright as the law shines as we see in our culture, men don't say, great, you've shown me my sin. Stomp their feet and literally foam at the mouth in hatred of being reminded of God's claims upon their lives. So sin bursts forth and lacerates the conscience even more so that it will fall into line. So we need to praise God for how much mercy he has shown to us. And Paul will do this later on in this chapter. So please understand, if you do not know Jesus today, I would not be faithful to God if I did not tell you, you don't need a light healing. You are worse than you can possibly imagine, even as I am. You are dead in your trespasses and sins, and only Jesus can rescue you. So how do you get rescued? You call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, rescue me. I'm a sinner. Be honest. I'm filthy and confess with Paul here that when I have heard people tell me, don't do this, I have wanted to do it all the more. I have wanted to taste all the more when my parents have said, don't taste that. I have wanted to rebel all the more. Lord Jesus, only you can come and save me from the clutches of sin because the wound is deep and it is deadly. Do you believe that about yourself? Notice in verses 9 and 10, there's a sleeper here who is awakened to die. Paul says, I was alive without the law once. And once refers to his life as a pre-believer, as a Pharisee, a self-trusting Pharisee who outwardly conformed and did what man's law said had to be done. But inwardly, he was dead. Paul says, in effect, that I knew the law during those days, but I really didn't know it. It had not come to me with piercing clarity. It had not slayed my self-delusions. He was alive, he said, before I really knew the law. I was alive before it had really come to me and shattered my darkness. I was alive, self-contented, unaware of my lost condition. I was senseless to the true demands of my God upon my life. But then he says in verse 9, when the commandment came, maybe a fleeting moment where When Paul was studying the law more than usual, light was given to him by the Lord, and it pierced his heart a little bit. It did convict him at some level before he was a Christian, that his desires were not what God required, that it wasn't enough to be outwardly okay in the eyes of men, but that inwardly he was dirty, filthy. And what does he say happened when that happened? He says, The commandment came to me, and sin revived and stirred again, and I died. I think what he means here is that at some level, 
I was exposed, but I wasn't healed. I wasn't saved. I was rebuked. I was convicted. I was filled with dread. But God had not yet come to me and showed me the Lord Jesus Christ so that I might be healed by his grace and by his mercy. We need to remember that verse 10 is kind of a summary of this. That God ordained the commandments to life. God originally gave us his laws so that we would know how to walk in joyful obedience to him. But now it just kills us. It exposes our sinfulness, but it has no power to save. Because we have no power in in and of ourselves to keep it. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408 Eight six six five six zero seven. We thank you for joining us and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.